0: Darmesh is an insanely smart person and a very big thinker who can actually build the stuff he envisions. I would not bet against Darmesh. As someone who has invested heavily in HubSpot through the years, I am very happy to know that Dharmesh is um, very focused on AI and HubSpot. I think it will bode very well for the platform and the stock moving forward. Welcome to episode 37 of the Marketing AI Show. We have a lot to cover today. We had to bump some topics like last minute. There's so much going on. So I am your host, Paul Raitzer, along with my co-host as always, Mike Kaput. Good morning, Mike.
1: Good morning, Paul. I feel like every podcast, like I've aged another year because it feels like things <laughs> are moving so fast.
0: <laughs> I felt like la- the end of last week, like slowed down a little. I think like, everybody apparently was waiting till Monday morning to drop some stuff on us. Uh, which is great. I mean, I'm glad we do this. So if, you, if you're new to the show, we record this on Monday mornings. So today is Monday, March 6th. This will release on Tuesday, March 7th. And some of the things we say today may be out, out of date by the time this hits tomorrow. Who knows? Uh, so today's episode is brought to you by the AI for Writers Summit. It's writersummit.com. Uh, this is a virtual event that we're launching that's come, That's happening on March 30th this year. Uh, so just in a couple of weeks now. Uh, It's a free event. There's a free option at least. And as you're going to discover in today's session, there's a lot happening in the world of AI writing and language, AI and chat GPT and all these other language models and applications. And the reality is nobody has a clue what's happening. And so we thought let's create a summit and bring some people together and let's talk about this. What's the impact on you as a writer or a marketer or a business person or a technologist who's building tools? Uh, whatever your role may be, what is going on? Uh, what does it mean to us? How is it going to impact careers and talent and, and companies and marketing strategies? And so it's a half-day virtual summit on the 30th from 12 to 4 Eastern. We have a, a collection of amazing topics um, talking about what's going on today, state of. We're going to take a look at the future and figure out where do we think this is going to go, you know, over the next six to 12 months. I don't, think it's realistic for anyone to try and predict beyond six months at this point. Sometimes I think six days is hard to predict, <laughs> but um lots happening. So again, AI or Writers Summit, it is brought to you by Marketing AI Institute, where Mike and I are both employed. Um, Marketing AI Institute is the creator of the event as well as this podcast. So check that out. Again, there's a free registration option, AIWritersSummit.com. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Mike. Again, if you're new, Uh, Mike and I pick three topics each week, and then we have a little rapid fire session at the end. Uh, The three topics today changed about 30 minutes ago, thanks to our friend Dharma Shah at HubSpot. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Mike to talk to us about what's going on.
1: Thanks, Paul. Yeah, and this first topic is so hot off the presses that I think it's still warm, honestly, like I can feel the heat coming off the Google Doc here. So literally just this morning, HubSpot co-founder and CTO Dharma Shah released something called ChatSpot, which is an AI tool that combines the power of ChatGPT, image generation AI and HubSpot's CRM and CMS platform. So this tool lets you actually ask questions of your HubSpot portal and provide instructions in natural language through a chat interface. So it's almost like think chat GPT for your specific HubSpot instance. For example, you could use ChatSpot to do things like give you a summary of data in your portal, create a report of companies that were added last quarter, summarized by country, or generate an image of an orange rocket ship. For any of our audience members who don't know, there's some really important context here. Not only is HubSpot a leading marketing platform, but Paul actually founded and sold a marketing agency that I also used to work for that was HubSpot's first ever agency partner. So we followed HubSpot closely, very closely, since it's very early days and have a lot of relationships at the company. On the heels of this announcement, HubSpot also introduced kind of with less fanfare a GPT powered content assistant that generates content in the platform. So we've alluded to this feature that we would have loved to have this feature for a while in HubSpot, and it looks like they have now incorporated it. So Paul, I want to turn this over to you to just unpack your thoughts for us on this release on ChatSpot, on HubSpot at large and their play in AI and what this all means for marketers.
0: Yeah. So the, as you alluded to, I, I have a long history with HubSpot. We started working with them back in 2007. Um, Darmesh uh, wrote the forward for my second book in 2014, which is the first time I publicly talked about artificial intelligence. In that book, I theorized something called a marketing intelligence engine that would use CRM data and automation system data to build predictive models for strategy and budget allocation. And it was sort of like the reason I got into AI was this, this use case of an intelligence engine. I was about a decade ahead of my time, apparently, because it wasn't not only possible, but no one was working on it back then. Um, so that being said, I have had many conversations about artificial intelligence with Dharmesh uh, in particular and with people at HubSpot through the years, and at times I've honestly been a little hard on HubSpot in, in recent years about the lack of AI in their platform. When I saw that there was a massive opportunity for them to be building it with all the proprietary data and everything. And and so I I think that we have to give kudos where it's due. I mean I what what he showed in, the, it was like a 19 minute demo where Darmesh kind of walks through it. One I I love that it's Darmesh doing it. Like you know I always say the companies that you want to bet on are the ones where the leadership uh, are are out with a point of view on AI. There's still so few SaaS companies where the 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 C suite don't even have a public point of view on AI. They're not talking about it. And here we have Darmesh actually not only building uh, this with his team, but he's out in front as the face of what they're doing. And obviously, Darmesh has invested a lot of time and energy in figuring out where HubSpot might be going in this area. And so, you know, I think it, it's awesome. And I, I had seen some of this. I, I had a, a sense of kind of like some of the stuff that you know, Darmesh was working on, um, but I hadn't seen what he you know, showed today in terms of the full capabilities of this. So I was really excited to see it. And I love the practicality of the use cases. He showed some sales CRM use cases. He showed some marketing use cases. He showed some reporting use cases. So you can't, as a HubSpot customer or marketer, watch that and not realize the impact AI is going to have on you. Um, I also thought it was interesting because it sort of brought home the world of bits stuff that you and I talked about on episode 35 of the Marketing AI Show. So if you listened to episode 35, we sort of put out this world of bits idea that, you know, really where people were going was action transformers, where the AI would be able to take actions on your behalf, not just, you know, create things. But, you know, the example we used in the post was a 21-click sequence to send an email in HubSpot. So like today, if you wanted to send an email in HubSpot, you have to click at least 21 times to do it. And Dharmesh actually referenced um, that kind of example within what they're building with ChatSpot, where it reduces the need for all these clicks. So it's sort of like a lot of this stuff coming together simultaneously. And I think it's it's really exciting, um, you know, in terms of the impact it could have on customers and the impact it could have on the broader market.
1: So I think it's also important to layer in a little context here, given that, you know, we both spend most of our days in HubSpot. We're very familiar with the partner ecosystem and the services agencies offer around HubSpot. I wouldn't sleep on how powerful this idea is. There is still a lot of manual work that goes into actually executing anything in HubSpot. Not to mention, as anyone who struggles sometimes to get value out of their CRM knows, it's not always easy to get at all the data that we have in there. I mean, how many times over the past you know, 15 years have we sometimes struggled to say, hey, like, how do we pull a report on this data set? How do we get more value out of the data we're collecting on context? So all of these things for people that aren't as familiar with HubSpot, these are all really transformative. So how do you see this? What does this mean for the wider market that HubSpot is now integrating AI into its platform like this?
0: The, to start, this sort of tees up what we're going to talk about in our second topic. Uh, but, but basically, I think it create, it's going to create a lot of confusion. So, if you have been an early adopter of AI technology and you've been adding different applications, different third-party writing tools, um, different different intelligent automation tools, once this moves out of alpha, you know Darmesh is very clear; it's an alpha uh, launch, so it's very early, uh, but it's going to get better fast um, for a lot of different reasons. And so, I think you immediately are like, well, do we need? The other writing tools, like what does this replace the need to have a third-party writing tool? And I actually don't know the answer to this. I'm just posing this as as soon as I saw it, that was my immediate reaction: was people are going to be very confused, and we're already dealing with an undereducated industry at large. Mm. So generally speaking, people are buying AI technology that they don't understand. They're finding some some basic use cases that they do understand. So okay, it can help me write blog posts. It can help me do social media shares. It can help me write ads or whatever it is. So they understand the use case, but they don't understand the underlying technology. So they certainly can't step back and understand, do do I need this in HubSpot and and these other third-party tools, or is this just it? Because they might not even understand language models and how the APIs work and all this different stuff. So I think that there is going to be some confusion. There's going to be a greater need for education. On the positive side, I think HubSpot jumping in to AI in a bigger way helps accelerate that. The understanding and adoption, because now that it's baked in, and again, it wasn't like HubSpot didn't have some AI tools, but realistically, and again, this is what I was referring to, I've been a little hard on them at times. Their artificial intelligence features were the same uh, a week ago as they were two, three years ago. Like mm-hmm. they have not innovated at a, at a rapid pace. And so a lot of the, like, there was like 10 different features, and they were, there was interesting stuff, but there wasn't anything groundbreaking by any means within what they were doing. And they knew that, and I, I think they would be the first to probably admit that they, you know, maybe weren't innovating at a very rapid pace on the AI front. I think that's about the change. Um, and so by infusing it in, I mean, let's think about the context. Here, if you're not familiar with HubSpot, it's a, a as of this morning, a twenty point two billion dollar market cap company. Their total revenue in two thousand twenty two was one point seven billion, up thirty three percent versus two thousand twenty one in a down economy, and they grew their customer base to one hundred sixty seven thousand customers by the end of 2022, which was up 24% over 2021. So, I mean, this is a, a very important company in the overall marketing sales CRM ecosystem. And for them to go all in again with a co-founder, CTO, Darmesh, doing this and leading a charge, I think that's going to wake a lot of people up to what a, that AI matters and it matters right now and they better make some moves to figure
1: it out. Yeah, so maybe talk to us about that a little more on a practical level now that these AI powered capabilities are part of the platform and presumably we'll see more of them coming down the line as well. What effect will this have on the work that marketers are doing in HubSpot?
0: Once you understand what it's capable of and again just go watch the the demo video. You know, if you if you run sales or are involved in sales enablement or if you're a marketer and you create content or you run reports whatever, you can go yourself and look at the use cases and think what's going to be possible. Now, again, you n- may not realize like massive productivity increases in efficiency right away because again, it's an alpha solution, but you can connect the dots and realize, wow, this is going to make a major impact. So I think productivity for HubSpot customers will almost immediately rise once you have access to the tools and it's just going to keep going up. And I'm not sure that there's a cap on that. So if you, again, like think take a practical example of uh, drafting emails or um, uh, writing blog posts or pulling reports on number of new contacts added last month and how many were in the SaaS industry and all these things that you do all the time. And you can just do that through not only typing it, but he has a voice function in there. So mm-hmm. I can just say how many, how many contacts did we had last month? How much was it over the month prior? How many of them are in the SaaS industry? How many are companies that are a hundred million or more in revenue? Like, I can just ask these things that historically you all get from Zoom messages from me. Can someone please go into HubSpot and pull for me X, Y, or Z? Now, in theory, I'm going to be able to just pull my HubSpot app while I'm sitting at home and say, hey, how many contacts have we had this month? Like whatever mm-hmm. pops in my head. And so the productivity is going to be massive. Now that said, it's going to be very disruptive. So one, you have to, you have to have people who understand this technology and the capabilities. You have to upskill your team to even know what to do with this technology. But at a bigger level, it starts to lead into this, the, the ecosystem. So HubSpot is built through a massive ecosystem. And again, you mentioned up front, we were the first HubSpot partner back in 2007. So we were the origin of the partner program that today, last I had heard publicly, again, this is an inside knowledge, like 45% of HubSpot's revenue came through their hmm. partner ecosystem. And that includes service providers like marketing agencies and technical providers who build on top of the HubSpot APIs within, you know, the the solutions marketplace. So it's a massive part of their business. If, if I'm an agency right now that gets paid to create content and pull reports and do the things he shows in there, I am. I am really starting to wonder what is the future of our service model with HubSpot? Like what is, what is ChatSpot not going to be able to do? Is probably the question I'm asking myself right now, because you have to start moving your service model to where they're not going to be able to just ask a question and get the thing they used to pay you a thousand dollars for. And that's where it's going. Now, ChatSpot may not be there, and that's not the intention of what they're trying to do. I mean, knowing HubSpot, they are not trying to obsolete their own service network, but it's a a potential byproduct of it. it, at least in parts, So I think that, and then I think from a technological standpoint, if I'm a, um, a developer and I'm building tools into HubSpot, I am starting to wonder what won't HubSpot be able to do on its own with ChatSpot. So I'll give you an example. Um, I'll throw this out there now because it's an obsolete idea. (laughs) One of the products I had considered building, so we've played around at different times with building some AI technology, um, was a CRM writer. I I was thinking about building an AI writing tool that had access to CRM and could write anything you want based on the CRM data. You see Microsoft doing this with Viva, you know, they've made a play into this space. And I've thought for a while that HubSpot needed that. And so I was like, eh, maybe we'll build that. Maybe we build a, like, like a cool little app that, you know, can write based on CRM data. We, it's done. Like if I, if I had built that product, it would be obsoleted right now. And I would be emailing my investors saying, hey, sorry, uh, Darmesh <laughs> just built this into ChatSpot. Like we're, we're done. Thanks for the million we just burned. So I, I do think there is a very, and again, this leads into our second topic very well. There is a massive amount of uncertainty right now around what should be built and, uh, and what the moats are to defend what you build. And I think this is a perfect example that there's a number of tools that I've thought about building on top of HubSpot the last couple of years that I could now see having been obsoleted by this one alpha play. And, you know, as Dharmesh shows, he's, you know, he shows his little grid of like, this is just the very beginning, and he was a much bigger idea. And knowing Dharmesh and having spent a lot of time with him through the years, you know, personally and professionally, um, Dharmesh is an insanely smart person and a very big thinker who can actually build the stuff he envisions. I would not bet against Dharmesh. Like, you know, as a as someone who who has invested heavily in HubSpot through the years, I am I am very happy to know that Dharmesh is. Um, very focused on AI and HubSpot. I think it will bode very well for the platform and the stock moving forward.
1: So you bring up a great point there about defensible moats. And as our second topic shows, even the smartest people in the generative AI space are having a hard time figuring this out. So Legendary VC firm Andreessen Horowitz, they just published a deep dive into the generative AI market and it's called who owns the generative AI platform. So they basically have met with dozens of founders, operators, people are working directly in generative AI to kind of understand where the value in this market will actually accrue. And they break down the generative AI tech stack into three main categories. First is infrastructure, so think the cloud platforms and the hardware and chips used to host and train models. Then second is the models themselves, these foundational language models like GPT-3 that power generative AI tools. And third are the apps, the actual products like the Jaspers of the world that customers use. And the full post is well worth a read and we'll link to it in the show notes, but Andreessen's conclusion is essentially as follows. They say that we've observed that infrastructure vendors are likely the biggest winners in this market so far, capturing the majority of dollars flowing through the stack. Application companies are growing top-line revenue very quickly, but often struggle with retention, product differentiation, and gross margins. And most model providers, though responsible for the very existence of this market, haven't yet achieved large commercial scale. In other words, the companies creating the most value, i.e. training generative AI models and applying them in new apps, haven't captured most of it. They also strongly note that today they don't appear to see many competitive moats at all in this market, but the market itself is so important to understand because it's so vast. They say, quote, the potential size of this market is hard to grasp, somewhere between all software and all human endeavors. So we expect many, many players and healthy competition at all levels of the stack. Paul, let's start off by talking about what this means specifically for marketers before we dive into the overall market dynamics. So if I'm a marketer, what should I be taking away from this analysis?
0: Yeah, first of all, I mean, just kudos to the three authors of the piece. I think it came out in January. They don't put, this drives me, they don't put dates on it, their (laughs) posts. I actually don't know exactly when it came out, but it came on my radar last week, so it's possible this has been out since like late January, but it is, it is a really well written piece. Like it does a great job of connecting the dots and explaining some relatively complex concepts. So gr- great job. It is an 18 minute read though. So, like, you're, if you're in, you're, you're committing to, to going deep on this topic. Um, my first reaction was for marketers and business leaders, the main consideration is at that application level, the software companies that are being built to enable you to do things more efficiently, to be more creative, to improve your decision making, to personalize, you know, whatever it is. The key to me here is like, how in the world are we supposed to bet on the winners? Like hmm. if I'm building my tech stack and I need an AI writing tool at the core of that tech stack and I go get Jasper or Writer or HyperWrite or WordTune or, or I just go direct to OpenAI's APIs, and I build my own stuff. Like it's really, really hard if the VCs who do this for a living can't figure out who the winners are going to be and what their mode is going to be. As a marketer who doesn't spend your entire day analyzing this, how do you figure out which SaaS companies to bet on? And this leads me back to what I was saying at the beginning about the confusion in the marketplace. It's way safer if I'm a marketer to say, I'm just going to bet on HubSpot. Like I, They are core to my tech stack. It's what we've said for years for people. How do you get started with AI? I have said it, but we're in, over in, in talks. You and I wrote it in our book, Start with your existing tech stack. The the key way to infuse AI in your business right now is go ask your existing core tech companies, do you have smarter features we're not using? Because if the answer is, yes, we actually have an AI writing tool baked into our platform, or we have a generative AI tool that creates images in our platform, great. I don't have to go looking for one that I don't know the company behind them. I've been using HubSpot for seven years. I trust you all to do this right. I'm gonna just ride with HubSpot and just see this out. So that to me is the biggest challenge. And and like we've been saying, these big tech companies were going to figure it out. It was only a matter of time until the platform companies realized that that they needed to be building this technology in. And as soon as they do, it, it totally shakes up the ecosystem now of, well, who do I go for point solutions? I just need a writing tool, or I just need an email tool, or I just need this. And it's only logical that the platforms are going to build those capabilities in. Now they might do it through ecosystem partners, but in a case like this, with the innovation happening with ChatGPT and the opening up of that API, which we're going to talk about as the next topic, it just like resets the ecosystem, in my opinion. So that was my, my first takeaway is that you need to focus on the applications layer. And there is a, a massive amount of uncertainty in that layer. And then the other thing that jumped out to me is like, they just don't know. Like they're, they're fairly confident, the infrastructure layer where the clouds and the GPUs like Nvidia, and I've been bullish on Nvidia for years. Like if anybody's listened to me give talks. (laughs) Um, And so I I think that the infrastructure layer seems really obvious, but that's more of a like personal investing thing. Like if you're a marketer or a CEO, the infrastructure layer doesn't matter that much to you other than the cloud you choose to to participate in, like whether it's AWS, Microsoft, Azure, Google cloud. I mean, those are your three main players. So that decision, you know, is something you can affect, but those, the things that are being built are being built on GPUs and TPUs from NVIDIA and Google. And, Mm -hmm. And that's really not something that affects you. So then the next layer up where you're actually getting into the models that, that is starting to come into play. Like I've been doing this myself. It's like, well, we have OpenAI's playground. We have Cohere's playground we can, you know, you have anthropic, you have stability AI, like you have all these people that are now building models. And the question becomes, well, if I wanted to build my own thing, do I just go to those? But again, the most obvious short-term thing you have to solve for as a marketer or business leader is which applications are we using? Which SaaS companies are we partnering with? Mm. And I don't think it's very obvious right now.
1: What about the flip side of this with the vendors themselves? I mean, this market went from us seeing a couple, you know, big giants raising a ton of money and having really unique products to suddenly, oh my gosh, like there's so many more competitors. There's a lack of differentiation. What should the vendors themselves be thinking about?
0: I think they've been losing sleep over this since ChatGPT came out, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, There was, there was, toward the end, there was a really succinct kind of conclusion that I thought was very uh, well said. And I'll just kind of read this. So they ask where, where will the value accrue? And this gets into like the vendors says there don't appear today to be any systematic modes in generative AI as a first order approximation applications lack strong product differentiation because they use similar models, AKA they're all building on top of cohere or OpenAI or, you know, other language models. Maybe it's a mix, maybe they're developing their own, but generally they're using the same infrastructure applications lack, um, Product differentiation because of similar models, models face unclear long-term differentiation because they are trained on similar data sets with similar architectures, meaning, oh, here, open AI, the language model companies, they're all largely training on the same data sets. They need proprietary data sets to really differentiate the models and give them, you know, power that they don't have. Otherwise they're all kind of commoditized. Cloud providers lack deep technical differentiation because they run the same GPUs, which are hard to get. So there's a scarcity of supply in that space. And even the hardware companies manufacture their chips at the same fabs. So mm-hmm. It's just like, this is why there's uncertainty. So the next one I, I thought was brilliant. There are of course the standard moats, scale moats, uh, quote, I have, or can raise more money than you. That's, you know, the place some are making supply chain moats. I have the GPUs. You don't ecosystem moats. Everyone uses my software already. That, that could be like a HubSpot play. Like I, I, I build these tools and I already have 167,000 customers. So we're going to win. Um, distribution modes. I already have a sales team and more customers than you. Data pipeline modes. I've crawled more of the internet than you. But none of these modes tend to be durable over the long term. And it's too early to tell if strong direct uh, network effects are taking hold in any layer of the stack. So that to me is like, it, again, if I was building CRM Writer and HubSpot just launched ChatSpot, I'm done. Like I had the vision, I had the idea. And that's irrelevant because they they have a bigger moat than me in a couple of key areas and I didn't get there first and sorry, like, you know, good idea, go on to your next one. So that's kind of the space we're in is this like it's massive uncertainty around what is going to happen, um, in this place. And it, again, it, the infrastructure vendors seem like the logical play, but that's not going to help you as a marketer, <laughs> it doesn't get you anywhere.
1: So before we move on to our third main topic today, I want to end by talking a bit more. I love that quote in in the article about the potential market size where they say it's somewhere between all software and all human endeavors. So if some in our audience might be a little confused by that statement, it makes generative AI sound a lot more than just writing and art tools. And we've talked about this. Can you kind of outline here why generative AI is so much more than just AI assisted writing.
0: Yeah, we talked in a previous episode about that there won't be software companies that aren't AI power, like Mm -hmm. in three to five years, like my, my belief, like if we look at the marketing technology landscape, you know, Scott Brinker has that martech landscape. It's got like 9,700 companies on it. Um, the, any company that isn't infused with AI within three years is done. Like that is, and I've said this publicly to. Um, SaaS companies, I've told venture capital firms, this, that, that only invest in SaaS companies, like you have to audit your portfolio. If Mm -hmm. you only invest in SaaS, there has to be someone on that team that deeply understands AI and can build the AI roadmap for that company, or else that investment is going to be burned. So I think that we are in a space where all software will become AI powered software, like there will be a day in the not too distant future where you don't have a software product or company that isn't an AI company. And I, I don't even think that's to like, I, I think it's, it is obvious. It's been obvious to some people for years. I think it is now obvious to everyone, all the venture capital firms I've talked to, all the SaaS companies are talking to, chat GPT ChatGPT woke everyone up to the fact that this was real and it was happening right. Now. Um, all of human endeavors kind of starts to go more in the realm of the world of bit stuff we talked about and knowledge work and creativity, certainly labor, um, mm. we, the, I, we didn't put this on the agenda for today. Maybe we'll put it for next week. Um, this company called Fusion that just released, or no, Figure that just released their uh, humanoid robot, the version one. And they talked about every human on earth having their own robot, like one robot for every human on earth. And they're talking about it in at-home care. They're talking about off-world adventures. They're talking about uh, labor and, and solving for job sh- shortages. Those robots, whether you want them to exist or not, ex machina style robots, um, are powered by AI. They're made. They're being made possible by these leaps in AI: language understanding, language generation, computer vision. So, yes, like it is as crazy as it sounds to say the potential size of this market is somewhere between all software and all human endeavors. It's not actually crazy when you mm-hmm. understand how this technology works and what it's going to be capable of. So. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a funny way to end it. And that's why I said, like, I just, I loved the article. I thought it was written with a little bit of humor, um, but a lot of understandable facts. And I think it's important for people to read it. If you're building technology or buying technology or leading a company or investing in technology, I think you have to read the article.
1: It's definitely good to pair that article with the next topic because it just became a lot easier, I think, for a lot of developers and companies to start building these types of applications because developers can now integrate ChatGPT and Whisper, OpenAI's human level speech recognition system, into apps and products through the company's API. Since December, OpenAI says it has reduced the cost of ChatGPT by 90%. Savings that API users will now receive when they use the API. So this makes it much easier and cheaper to incorporate the capabilities of ChatGPT and Whisper into different products, apps, business models. And it doesn't just mean that every business can have their own instance of ChatGPT. It means they can actually use these capabilities to build innovative new products. So. As part of the release, OpenAI provided a few examples, and I just want to run through those quickly so people understand what's possible here. So one early example is Snap, the creator of Snapchat. They just introduced something called My AI, which is a customizable on-platform chatbot that you can speak with like you would a friend or an online acquaintance, and that's built on the ChatGPT API. Instacart is also using the ChatGPT API to pair ChatGPT with its own data. So customers can ask open-ended natural language questions. So instead of having a recipe in front of you and searching Instacart for what you want to buy from the store, you could literally just ask something like, how do I make great fish tacos? And you can start not only getting an answer, but also having Instacart's products and recommendations come up as part of that. And last but not least, Speak is an AI language learning app, and it's apparently the fastest growing English app in South Korea. And they're using the Whisper API to create an AI speaking companion. So, Paul, what do you think of the effects? What do you think the effects will be of releasing these APIs uh, on the overall market, given everything we just talked about?
0: Even more rapid innovation. You know, we've been saying for months, like you have no idea what's coming. Like the the pace of innovation is going to be hard to comprehend it. It just accelerated 10x. Like Mm -hmm. that's basically what it did. It it reduced the cost 10x to build things on chat GPT. So for developers and tech companies that are building, it just got way cheaper to build what you are building, which means that as consumers or users of it, you're going to see rapid innovation in what you can now do with this technology. So now you may not personally care, like it might not make sense to you like that they dropped the 10 X, but give you a really practical example in our piloting AI for marketers course. And in some of the talks I give, I think even our intro to AI class I teach, we show open AI playground where we write a blog post, 440 words that we write in 40 seconds. Most of that mm-hmm. was writing the prompt and that it cost one penny to do. So previously, if you wanted to access the open AI APIs to generate something. It was two cents for roughly 750 words, just simple math here. For two cents, you can now write 7,500 <laughs> basically. So that, that like, so rather than one 750 word post for two pennies, I can now write 10, 750 word posts for two pennies. So if I'm HubSpot and I'm enabling you to write content, it now costs me 10 times less to let you do that than it did a week ago, That that's the that's basically what it comes down to. And what's going to happen is it's going to force the rest of the market to make all of their models more affordable. Um, and it's going to rapidly in- increase innovation. And I'll like, give tangible examples of innovation, verticalized solutions, like people building things very specific to your industry. If you're in the legal profession or dental or whatever it is, um, insurance, it's now 10 times cheaper and faster to build verticalized solutions for you. So the tech you use, your core tech stack is gonna get smarter. People are gonna be launching companies and tools left and right. It's gonna be hard to even fathom the amount of innovation that'll be spurred by this technology getting cheaper and faster.
1: So just to add to that, I saw this tweet a few days ago from Jim Fan, who is an AI researcher at NVIDIA and is a great follow on Twitter. He said that now with the new ChatGPT pricing, it costs $4.30 to process, as in process and entirely learn the entire Harry Potter series. And I think he did. He's done a couple other high profile examples where like, I think the Bible took $2. So people really do need to understand whether you're building on top of this or not. You need to understand that there were a huge amount of critiques around ChatGPT when it first came out that 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 it was unsustainable from a cost perspective, and a lot of people in the space were pretty clearly saying, "Well, guys, give it a few months. I guarantee you the cost will drop, the innovation will scale up accordingly," and that's exactly what we're seeing.
0: Yep, and the models are again there. There's more advanced models sitting behind the walls at these research labs. So when you combine the cost of doing this with more advanced AI capabilities, it's, it's just going to be crazy. (laughs) I I mean, I'm so for our March 30th, AI for Writers summit, I'm doing a state of AI and writing keynote. I'm not even sure I can create that (laughs) keynote until March 29th. Like I've been (laughs) debating, what am I even going to present? And I I think I'm going to like create the framework of it, but I'm gonna have to finalize that thing like 24 hours before the event because it's moving so quick.
1: I hope our event team is not listening to yeah, this podcast. You give
0: me the deck win? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so before we jump into rapid fire, I wanna end with asking you, how should companies, vendors, um, developers, how should we be thinking about building on top of these APIs? I mean, it, what, what kind of considerations do we need to have um, as we're building our own products?
0: I, it goes back to the previous topic of what's defensible. Like mm-hmm. what mode can you create around these things? Because the technology is there to build all kinds of fascinating tools. It's just a question of whether or not those tools will be around in six months, or if Salesforce or HubSpot or Adobe or Oracle or, you know, any other list of marketing sales technology companies are just going to build it themselves because now it's 10 times cheaper for them to build it too. And they have development teams and they have AI research labs. So that, to me, is it's it's the billion or trillion dollar question: is Mm -hmm. what gets built and what can you grow? And I think, in my opinion, I haven't haven't thought like deeply about this. Well, I've thought very deeply about this, but I haven't really come to conclusions. I think distribution matters. I think your existing audience size is critical. So, if you're HubSpot and you have 167,000 customers, that matters. And I think proprietary data matters to train unique models. And so distribution and data with all else being, you know, we all have access to the same models. We all have access to the same infrastructure, basically. Um, I think those two things matter, which means the the big players may get bigger. Hmm. And plus they can buy up all the interesting tools. So it may just continue, like there's going to be, I think a a period of, of explosion of tools and companies built in the generative AI space. And then I could see over time, a rapid consolidation because those, a lot of those tools are just going to get churned out and obsoleted over and over and over again, like every few months. Um, but the best ones are going to rise. The ones that are interesting are the ones that built a media company first, going to our friends, Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose at Content Marketing Institute have been preaching, you know, build a media company yourself. Yeah. And that's the play we did with the Institute. It's like yeah. our play was always, let's build an audience of people that are interested in AI and want to learn about this stuff. And then someday maybe, you know, we do something else with, it, and so I think, I think distribution matters. I think you might see more software companies buying more media companies again to get access to those people. And I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not confident enough to make some bets. I've been making bets personally from, you know, from a stock standpoint, but I've been doing that for years. Like I've, I've believed that AI companies were undervalued in the market. I don't think wall street understood AI. And I, I think that actually is still the case i think there's still a lot of value in the market for companies um but yeah i would i would think long and hard about what is defensible before i start building something
1: all right let's jump into several rapid fire topics like we said a lot has been going on in the last week so we've got a lot to cover so we'll move fast first up is the us and the european union uh had their first meeting as part of a joint ai research initiative so This is a collaborative research partnership that's meant to speed up AI development in both the U.S. and Europe, as well as determine what regulations, if any, are needed. So in this first meeting, the U.S. and EU teams gave the agencies all involved on their ends 60 days to compile guidance on how AI can be ethically applied in different areas. They focused on five areas to start. First is extreme weather and climate forecasting, emergency response management, health and medicine improvements, electric grid optimization, and agriculture optimization. So, Paul, I wanted to get your sense of what is the significance of a partnership like this, and does it mean that regulations are coming?
0: I don't think it means regulations are coming. I think it's important that they are collaborating. Again, the data is what makes things uh, valuable here, and to be able to share data and share learning is going to benefit humanity. So, overall, I think it's good. I think it's necessary. I don't necessarily think it has any real implications to regulations being accelerated because of some of the obstacles we've talked about in previous episodes.
1: Gotcha. And kind of related to that, our second topic is this New York Times article that came out recently highlighting how U.S. lawmakers are struggling to understand artificial intelligence. And that's even despite some of them raising alarm over AI tools like ChatGPT. In this quote from The Times, they say, but even as lawmakers put a spotlight on the technology, few are taking action on it. No bill has been proposed to protect individuals or thwart the development of AI's potentially dangerous aspects. And they go on to quote uh, a congressman from California who said, the problem is that most lawmakers do not even know what AI is. And this is from J. Obernolte, if I'm pronouncing that right, who is the only member of Congress with a master's degree in AI. So, Paul, you called this out on LinkedIn and highlighted what I thought were two really important points. The first being, you said, by the way, you can replace lawmakers with CEOs and we face the same issues in business. The lack of understanding begets a lack of urgency to pursue AI responsibly. You also uh, mentioned that Cade Metz, a New York Times AI reporter and a friend of the Institute, confirmed for you on Twitter that this is the first time that the New York Times is reporting that OpenAI CEO CEO Sam Altman actually did a demo of GPT-4 for Congress. So can you tell us a bit more about why this article and the topic caught your attention?
0: Yeah, it goes back to what we talked about in the previous one. Like, We're not any closer to legal regulations because nobody understands AI. Mm -hmm. And that is the fundamental problem I have seen over and over again in business is you have CEOs and boards and venture capitalists driving some of this who don't understand AI. And so we've said over and over and over again, that understanding is critical. We have to start there. Like trying ChatGBT and finding AI writing use cases is fantastic, but leadership has to actually understand the technology that they're using because it's going to be infused throughout your business. This is not a simple marketing tool or two. It's marketing, sales, service, ops, product, HR, finance, legal, IT. Like it is going to be in every part of your business. So that was the first thing that jumped out to me is one, shows we're not getting any closer to any kind of legal regulations here, governmental uh, guidelines. Um, two, it is representative of where we are in business. And three, buried at the bottom of that article from, I, I think I said it was K, but it was Cecilia uh, Kang and, and Adam Caterino, Um was that. Sam Altman demoed GPT four. Now we knew Sam Altman had met with Congress. That came out a few weeks ago, but I had not seen anything where they said he did GPT four. Which is basically, I, I assume, then meaning that they are worried about what comes next, and he was probably there trying to like say, "Hey, here's what it is. Here's the guardrails we're putting in place. We won't release it." Makes it actually puts in context some of the other stuff they've been doing that we felt was a PR move recently yeah. about AGI and stuff like that. I feel like maybe. There's a lot of pressure on them from government to, uh, to take some immediate actions to pre- prevent uh, misuse and, and damage in society. And so it feels like they're playing a bit of a PR game and a bit of a product game here. Yeah. So, yeah, I just thought that was, that was interesting. It was overall a really good article and, and uh, a lot of things about it caught my attention.
1: So you alluded to our third topic oh, yeah, here figure. which here is uh, this is really crazy and you know it's going to sound futuristic to people but I would I would personally start taking it pretty seriously given what we've discussed but a major startup exited stealth mode saying it is ready to build autonomous humanoid robots so on Twitter entrepreneur Brett Adcock announced that his new company called Figure was exiting stealth mode and they're building this autonomous humanoid robot Uh, The first model is called the Figure Zero One. And in the announcement, he said, quote, Today we're unveiling the most important technology for the future of humankind. Advanced AI meets robotics. Figure is designed to solve what they see as this huge problem. So Adcock says that as a result of an aging population, our labor force is shrinking. And he cites a stat that claims there will be 85 million job shortages by 2030. He goes on to say, if we want growth, we need more productivity. And this means more automation. So the solution is uh, figure believes robots built for a human environment will maximize our impact on labor shortages and improve lives. And kind of the core thesis here is that the physical world is already designed for human forms. So it makes humanoid robots kind of a natural choice to navigate the world. This isn't a new goal or a new realization, but Adcock does think this time is different due to some enormous advances over the last 10 years in things like compute and GPU, energy and power density, bipedal locomo- locomotion control, and autonomy. He actually showed some mock-ups of the robot as well. It's five feet, six inches tall. It's a humanoid robot with a human form and a screen for a face. And you know, lastly and importantly, the team they've assembled has some really heavy hitters. They've got people that used to work at Boston Dynamics, Tesla, Apple, and Google X. What did you make of this company and kind of the overall mission and challenge they're trying to solve here?
0: I mean, it definitely comes across as like overly sci-fi at first. And if, if I didn't look into like the people behind it, I would have kind of dismissed it a little bit. Yeah. But when you combine that, how much money they've raised. I I was just trying to find, I think they've raised over a billion already. Like, I mean, they're backed by some major players. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this is the exact market, it would appear that Elon Musk is planning to go after with Tesla bot, AKA Optimus. It certainly adds legitimacy legitimacy to some major players think that this is going to be a massive market. And I think that was kind of what I threw up when I put some commentary on LinkedIn about this, was um, they're all going after the same obvious markets the labor force the consumer household dealing with aging population exploration i've said before obviously on this podcast but i don't think a human's the first thing on mars i'm I'm pretty confident that optimus is intended to be the first thing that goes to mars from (laughs) a humanoid standpoint so i i think that um this is a space there's gonna be a lot of speculative investments made into uh robotics has been kind of quietly behind the scenes for most people developing like Boston Dynamics. We see all the crazy robots doing the fun things on YouTube, Hmm. but is real tech. Um, The government's been working on this stuff through the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency or DARPA for decades. This isn't new. Uh, And I think that's for for many people might be the first time they look at something like, oh my gosh, they're actually building this stuff from the movies. Yes, they they are and they have been for decades. I think we might be uh, nearing the commercialization of that technology, though, in the next you know five to ten years, so something to keep an eye on. It's not going to you know you're not gonna be buying robots tomorrow to take mm-hmm. care of your parents, um, your aging parents, but uh, it, it would certainly appear that within this decade we may 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 see some humanoid robots walking around.
1: Wow! Yeah, what a world! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ended it with like, anyways. Have a great weekend. Yeah, that <laughs> <I> put, <a, laughs> right. put that up on Friday.
0: It was just so sort of yeah. like, wow, this is deep.
1: As if you didn't have enough to think about starting your week, too. All right. Our last topic for today is courtesy of Wired Magazine. So Wired is a major tech publication, and they just published their own ground rules for how they will and won't use generative AI moving forward. So they break down these rules by different types of generative AI. So for things like text generators, they say they will not publish stories with text generated by AI, except when the fact that a story is AI generated is the whole point of the story. So literally no AI generated content outside of writing like a think piece on, Hey, this article was written by ChatGPT. They also will not publish text edited by AI. They say they may use AI to suggest headlines or text for social media, they may use it to generate story ideas, and they may experiment with it as a research tool. For image generators, they say they will not publish AI-generated images or video. They do say that this will be in effect at least until the legal issues around artist and photographer copyright is settled. So it's possible that... Indefinitely. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. It's in theory, they would be open to it, but yeah, indefinitely in practice. They specifically will not use AI-generated images over stock photography, stating that stock photography is an important source of income for photographers, and they may use AI to generate ideas for images. So we're seeing this more and more uh, companies and brands taking public positions and how they're going to use AI tools. What do you make of this announcement and the guidelines themselves?
0: Uh, I love that they are being proactive. I, I hope we see a lot more media companies do this exact same thing. That's just very clear. We've talked about it before. You, you don't necessarily, you don't wanna be like reading every article and wondering, today I write this? Like what, it? you know, you don't know. I have been a belief, like, I don't think you're going to have to disclaim it on every post, like stamping that this was an AI or not an AI. I I hate that idea. I do like the idea of just a terms of use or like, here's how we use AI click here to learn more. And then that, that is just like a standard statement. So I really like the idea of this standard statement. Um, I am actually a fan. You and I haven't even talked about this before, but I am a fan of a anti AI generated, um, content guideline like yeah i actually you know we've we've been pretty clear to date on ours we use it to do transcriptions and we're we're transparent like we we transcribe audio i don't have any problem with that i think that is a very natural use case that you just otherwise wouldn't otherwise do and i think it is user-centric it's to give the transcript we're not going to sit there and type it out um we use it for content summarization of transcripts yep. again very clear use case i don't I really have a problem with that but I know we're going to get flooded with crap content. We talked about this in an episode or two ago about you know the need for more human content. so i I don't hate media companies and brands taking a stance that we're not using AI generated content. like i I, I really don't. I, I think that there may be a movement toward that, honestly. The one about not published text edited by AI is very aggressive in my opinion i, yeah. I don't I don't get that one. I would be interested to hear more perspective on that. Because does that mean they they won't even use Grammarly or Microsoft Word that has AI doing NLP on your like that's really extreme in my opinion Mm -hmm. I I don't I wouldn't agree with that one and nor would I endorse our company doing that Um, the image generation one I I respect I I think that there is a spectrum of how you feel about the impact AI is having on artists um, whether they're photographers or you know, illustrators or designers or whatever, and whether or not their work is being stolen in the training of these image generation tools, hmm. there is certainly an argument that it is, um, I don't think we're going to have any legal precedent for a time, uh, that, that, at least that's sustainable, like Supreme court ruling kind of precedent. Uh, so I think that's a very aggressive stance as well. I don't have a problem with using AI generated images, especially if we're clear that that's what it is. Um. But I could certainly listen to an argument that we should consider that stance down the road. So I think that those key areas of like, how are we using it for writing? How are we using it for editing? How are we using it for image generation and video? They didn't get into video, but that's going to be something you're going to, have to address in 2023. Are we going to use right. it for video generation? I'm guessing they will say no. I do think that heads of marketing and businesses um, should be taking a stand on this. And I think that to me is the main takeaway is, It's a really good model. You know, we released our responsible AI Manifesto to try and accelerate the conversation around some of these issues in the industry. And I, I like that they're doing this. And I think people should start pondering what their stance should be on these issues.
1: Yeah, and we should also mention, it's not just kind of a nice to have a stance. It's kind of a need to have in the sense of actually figuring out how you're going to treat these tools and avoid potential pitfalls down the line, whatever those look like to you but also like you mentioned, differentiating your brand. I mean, you can't just sit here as a credible content strategy today and say, great, ChatGPT can write everything for us. Like They can do it for anybody. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, I really, I'm interested to see what I say on March 30th for our writer summit. I, I don't <laughs> know what I'm going to say. Like I really, there are some issues that I haven't personally resolved in my mind yet. Like how I really feel about some of this stuff and you know, taking a stance. I think so much of ours is presenting information in both sides and sometimes not having a very specific point of view because in part, it just hasn't been formed yet. It's not like I'm trying to avoid saying this is what I believe. Right. Uh, And I think there's a lot of unknowns right now in in particular in writing and the impact it's going to have. And it's just a really fascinating time to be having these conversations.
1: And with the amount of topics we've covered today, we have to keep having the conversations because, man, there there is a lot going on. So, you know, Paul, as always, thank you so much for breaking everything down for us and for the audience. I think it's incredibly valuable.
0: Yeah, we appreciate everyone listening. We'll be back uh, next week. So we'll talk to you then. Thanks a lot.